the most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So you can talk about fake news and propaganda and astroturfing. And all of those things hack the greater process, the conversation around the election. Election meddling undermines what sits at the foundation of American democracy, confidence in our voting system. Whether hacking takes the form of masking the original source of a campaign message to make it seem like it comes from the grassroots, so-called astroturfing, or disseminating intentionally false information, it all leads Americans to question the legitimacy of the democratic process. In 2016, we discovered Russian-backed hackers were responsible for disinformation campaigns. In response, Congress directed $380 million to the 50 states to boost election security. But did it really help? Is it useful to compare electoral outcomes to poll results? You're not going to believe it. Right? I mean, the problem of voting, as opposed to any other computer security mechanism, is that after the fact, it's partisan. Is there a problem with the expectation we have that then that the a winner of election ought to be declared immediately? So yes, a slower process would enable us to do more checking before announcing anything. The American people don't like that. I mean, even going to sleep before knowing is bad. With increasingly long election seasons, I'd sleep better on election night hearing that my candidate won. But wouldn't we all sleep better knowing that whatever the result, it was guaranteed to be accurate? The tech is real, but the tech is solvable. None of what you've described is exotic or untried. Why has it been so difficult to convince other states to, to put in place some of these already available voting techniques? Because the problems are not technical, the problems are political. Election security is mostly solvable.
Bruce Schneier is an internationally renowned security technologist. He teaches cybersecurity at the Harvard Kennedy School. My co-host Malcolm Gladwell talked with Schneier about the threats that loom over the vote this fall. When we talk about elections being hacked, what does that mean? I'm assuming that there are 50 different things that fall under that category. So we'll talk about the hacking the voting process. And that's a process by which you cast your vote. We also talk about hacking the broader electoral process. So when the Russians hacked the Democratic National Committee and posted or dumped a lot of information online, they weren't hacking the vote. They were hacking the overall election process. So you can talk about fake news and propaganda and astroturfing. But all of those things hack the greater process, the conversation around the election. And that's one very separate branch. The other branch is hacking the vote itself. Right, the process by which you and I go to vote. Yeah. And there you have four places where you can affect things. It sort of affect the outcome. Uh, the first is the registration process. And we've read about and seen different hacks on the voting rolls. So that when you go to vote, you can't. At that point, this particular kind of hacking, is it really about taking people off the rolls? Uh, It's a couple of things. Uh, In California, some years ago, people had their party affiliation changed from Republican to Democrat. You can change the address of somebody. So they go to vote and they were told to go to a different poll. And, And some of these are easy. Many states have online systems to change your registration that aren't well authenticated. Uh, Others is to uh, pull people off the voting rolls. Others are to erase the voting rolls. What happens if we get to election day in a certain state and the voting rolls don't work and we don't know why? So a lot of things against the voting rolls. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second is the the thing we talk about all the time, which is the vote itself. Is your vote recorded accurately? The third is the tabulation process. No matter how you vote, there's this sort of automated, sort of manual process by which the numbers out of each machine – get increasingly aggregated, the numbers in the the building, the numbers in the precinct, the numbers in the town, the, the city, the state, you know, all the way up to the national, if, if that matters. And then the last, which I think people don't think about a lot, is the reporting process. And we have seen, and this was something that we think was thwarted in, in 2018, erroneous reporting, where the numbers are right, but the press release says the opposite. Of those four things that you've identified, can we rank them in order of seriousness? Which is the one that worries you the most? I would not rank them. I think ranking is, is dangerous. I think they're all risky. Yeah. If I'm a chaos agent, um, how di- what's the level of difficulty involved in spreading chaos in the American electoral system? It'll depend on the technology. So we can talk about voting machines and some are more secure than others. When I vote in Minnesota, we use optical scan voting. I have a piece of paper. I fill in ovals. And then that is tallied using computer. That is the gold standard. It is a voter verifiable paper audit trail. Now, it's real hard to mess with that. And you can mess with the tabulating, but there's a paper backup. You can do a recount. Some states vote on touchscreen machines. We've had times those machines have opened up and that it's been zero to zero. Zero to zero. What does that mean? Right. No votes to no votes. Something went wrong today. Uh, those machines are 
a lot worse than you want them to be. And, uh, the companies keep them very secret, but there have been audits uh, at DEF CON Hacker Conference. I think a couple of years ago, we had a bunch of machines in a voting village and they were all hacked. Uh, companies say they're offline, they're often online. There's a lot of, of ways to uh, to go after those those machines. So this isn't like hacking into the NSA. This is like... This is some. This is a lot more garden variety kind of hacking that we're talking about. It's a lot more garden variety. Give me a description of the most vulnerable system. What would be the one? Touchscreens, touchscreen voting. Touchscreen. Anybody voting, voting on touchscreen voting is is taking a chance. Now <clears throat> that's in the U.S. Uh, country like Estonia, they have internet voting. That is even more dangerous yeah. than going to a machine. Yeah. I can't design a secure internet voting system. I can't design a secure electronic voting machine. I can't do it. It can't be done. We shouldn't do it. And you'll come back to me and say, we're banking over the internet. We're doing all these other things over the internet. Why in the world is this different? Mm -hmm. Why is it different? The short answer is that voting requires anonymity. That when you think about everything else you do on the internet, your name is attached, there's an account attached. If there's a problem, you can roll it back. You can figure it out. Now, if you came back to me and said, we're going to dump the secret ballot, right? All votes are now public, right? You know, and we could decide that. It's a reasonable way to vote. Uh, the Switzerland voted that way for, for many years. The uh, Romans voted that way uh, for a lot of their elections. Then it's a different uh, story. And actually, I could do internet voting easily. I could vote by app. We can vote by Facebook. All of that will work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you can go look online at the tally of votes, make sure your name is in the right column, and you know the vote's accurate. Wait, I'm not sure I understand. The fact that voting has to be, a, that we have to have a secret ballot, makes the task of digital voting, you're saying, very, very difficult. Why exactly? I'm, I'm not following that. Why can't I have an authentication system to get into the voting booth, but then you, you anonymize me once I'm inside the booth, and the, the, the electronic booth, and record my vote? So that that works great. There are systems that do that. And now the question is, do we trust the computer security, right? Are the computers that are doing this somehow magically better than other computers? And they're not. So there'll be lots of ways to hack into that, just like there are lots of ways to hack into corporate networks and banking networks and all those computer security stories we find. Oh, I see. Now, if someone hacks into your bank uh, and changes bank balances, you will know that, you will see that, you will go to the bank, the bank will figure it out. The difference is that in the election case, you might not know what would happen and there's no way to recover. Because there is that anonymity, because there's that break between the registration, right, getting into the system, as you mentioned, and the voting, your vote's anonymized, I can't have an audit system. And I can't post on a public website everybody who voted for candidate A, everyone who voted for candidate B. Now, that's a check. You do that, and we will all, though those of us who care, enough of us will, will look at the lists, make sure we're there, and we have very high confidence that no one's been moved without their consent. You can't do that with an anonymous ballot. So what if I just said to you, okay, if the risk of hacking is as large as you say it is, why don't we do away with the secret ballot? We could. Now, that's a voting question. That's not, I mean, I'm a computer security person. That feels like a political science question. I mean, let's have experts talk about that. We, we can talk about some of the some of the risks. The risks are going to be uh, coercion. 
So if I am in, I'm going to make this up, an abusive relationship with you, you can tell me how to vote and you can make sure I vote the way you want me to. Uh, you could buy my vote and make sure I deliver. Yeah. You know, we're in a world where uh, many of us are transparent about our votes, but there is political value in the secret ballot. And that is probably a discussion we should have as a society today. So setting that aside for a moment, that's one, that's one branch we could follow. And then, so you're saying if we decided to do it, the secret ballot, it makes the job of people like you a lot easier. Actually, it makes it trivial. I mean, it, 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 suddenly it's solved. You download an app, you vote any way you want, website, kiosk, on yeah. Facebook. Nobody cares. Yeah. How do we know when there's fraud? So is it entirely possible that a lot of the fraud that goes on, because you're talking about systems, like say with a touchscreen system, it's quite possible you would never, something could be hacked and you'd never know, right? And and that's true in, in pretty much all hacking. Yeah. Right? Is your email hacked? Who's reading your email? You don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, there's a famous hack against uh, Apple Photo Archive where photographs of celebrities were stolen and then published. Were they not published, we would never know. Examples of networks, Equifax, they were hacked. They figured it out like five, six months later by accident, uh, lots of hacking in our world goes unnoticed. Hmm. And the more skilled you are, the more you can cover your tracks. And you talk about government hacking, and I bet a lot of it goes unnoticed uh, forever. You know, yeah. Criminal hacking tends to be noticed because the crime is going to be financial, and eventually you'll see you lost money and you'll try to figure out how. Yeah. But hacking for information, I think there's a lot more that goes on at the state the state level than we know about, because it is largely done in secret. So you're talking about some of these systems, say with the touchscreen system, it's very difficult to, impossible to figure out whether hacking has taken place. But are there proxies we can use? I mean, is it useful to compare electoral outcomes to poll results? And is there ways, to, are there ways to flag at least suspicious outcomes? There is, but you're not going to believe it. Right? I mean, the problem of voting, as opposed to any other computer security mechanism, is that after the fact, it's partisan. You know, we can do polling and compare polling with the actual vote in stuff that didn't matter, like what color M&M we want to choose. And we can use that to say, oh, yeah, look, there's been the ballot stuffing, the uh, purple M&M people organized on 4chan and they, they have, have stuffed the vote. But if you do that with an actual election – and you're on the losing side. How do you feel when someone says the actual vote was different than the polls? You're going to say no. What do you mean? The actual vote is what counts. The polls don't. People lied on the polls. A silent majority. We'll have all these reasons. So scientifically, we might be able to use that as evidence. But politically, that will never fly mm. as, as anything because it is so partisan. Is there a problem with the expectation we have that then that the a winner of election ought to be declared immediately? Should we start by abandoning that that um, that notion? So yes, a slower process would enable us to do more checking before announcing anything. The American people don't like that. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody. I mean, even going to sleep before knowing is is bad in, in our system. If we could abandon the immediate knowing, the the exit polls, the the guessing, all of that, 
as, a, as an election security person, as an election reliability person, I would like that change. So I said, all right, Bruce, you can have that. How long do you need? For close elections, you want a little more time because you want to make sure everything's accurate. In a normal election, my guess is only a few days because what I want to do is, is do automatic audits on all elections. There are systems of audits we can do where the level of audit depends on how close the election is. If the election is 90% to one, you have to audit one ballot or you know 10% of the ballots. If it's 51 to 49, you have to audit, I'm gonna make this up, 20% of the ballots. The numbers are actually, actually a lot lower than that. So you know, 2000 Florida, we actually mm-hmm. wanted a lot of time and politically we couldn't get it because that was a badly designed ballot. So it was a slow manual recount that was triggered. I think uh, one of the, I think the Gore team uh, asked for the recount according to law. So I want automatic recounts that don't have to be asked for, that we just do as a matter of course, because we don't know where there's going to be problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really, right now it's going to depend on COVID. So we're going to have an election that will be a lot of mail-in votes at the last minute. And some of the states say they have to be postmarked on election day. So which means what? They're delivered three days later and they're counted slowly after that. Mm-hmm. I worry that there will be preliminary results on election night and that the demographics of the mail the late mail-in voters will be different. I don't even know how, in what way, but- you know, it's plausible that there'll be some demographic that waits to the last minute. And then you'll have the person who's was declared the presumptive winner on election night say, I was robbed when two weeks later, all of these mail-in ballots swing the election the other way. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know which party is going to benefit, right? That it's not even obvious to me. Let's do Bruce's optimal system. Tell me what election, what the electoral process should look like in the United States. So this is so I think we have a problem in that we require separate registration. I think registration should come with citizenship when you turn 18. And a lot of other countries do that. We have a separate registration process that has largely been a voter suppression process and we should do away with it. So you're saying at the age of 18 everyone automatically has the right to vote. And that's true. But they should all they should automatically be registered. They should so have the does, ability to vote. Yeah. How does automatic registration work in practical terms? I mean, I don't know. You, you automatically get a social security number when you're born. So maybe the, uh, uh, something's flipped when you turn 18. I mean, I, I don't know how these processes work. Yeah. But I, I think removing that separate step will make elections better and fairer and will increase participation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like there to be, what the U.S. doesn't have is an independent voting commission. A lot of countries have a bureaucracy that's in charge of voting. Canada does. The UK does. We have a bureaucracy in charge of the census, a similar bureaucracy in charge of voting, in charge of accuracy, not partisanness. I think we'll go a long way to to making this more more secure. Mm -hmm. So so we should do that. Mm -hmm. And, And that group will be in charge of making sure these voting lists are accurate, are current, are sent to the precincts where they need to be sent. If there are problems, they can, there's a helpline to, to figure it out. As much of this should be done with paper backup as possible because we are worried about computer hacking. Uh, the voting itself needs to be done on secure machines. I mentioned Minnesota, optical scan voting. That is the gold standard right now. 
And all cases in all elections, we do an audit. The size of it depends on the margin of victory. None of what you've described is exotic or um, untried or a lot of times when we do these solvable podcasts, we're talking about a solution that's um, off on the horizon somewhere. These solutions are not off on the horizon. They're some chunk of it is in the state of Minnesota. Why has it been so difficult to convince other states to to put in place some of these already available voting techniques? Because the problems are not technical. The problems are political. If you believe that your side benefits from ignoring the problem, why would you spend money on the problem? I mean, voting machines are for-profit enterprises in this country. There's, there's government lobbying on voting, on spying and selling voting machines. It's not like, I mean, again, getting back to a government bureaucracy in charge of accuracy, we don't have that. So if you are a company that makes touchscreen voting machines, you're going to shove out all this uh, kind of noise on how great your machines are. And the election officials don't know better, and they're going to buy them. Uh, after 2000, we had the Help America Vote Act where Congress apportioned a lot of money to give to the states to improve their voting machines. A lot of those went to computerized voting machines that have been dumped since then because of of security problems. So this is a very political issue. My my problems aren't technological. It's not core science. Yeah, yeah. It's policy and politics. Do you think there might also be a kind of implicit bias among some people that as we move towards more digital uh, digitalization of the system, we're making it safer? In other words, are people assuming that the application of additional technology here is what will improve things and not? You're actually, you're, you're arguing for a return to a much more traditional way of voting. And this is how we started the podcast. I mean, what's different about the risks of voting? And so yes, right? There's a belief that, you know, we're putting computers on this. Computers are good. Computers are going to make this better, safer, faster, do all of these things. And it turns out security is, uh, you know, ends up being something that's it's flowing in the other direction. Yeah. And, and that, that makes this harder. What can listeners to this podcast, what can ordinary citizens and voters do to, to uh, help advance the case of, of more secure elections? So there are organizations that are advocating for accurate voting, verifiedvoting.org. There's the National Electoral Defense Coalition. There's a group called True the Vote, uh, the Brennan Center for Justice. So those are some of the organizations I support and, and think we all should. But if this is not a political issue, this will not change. Fundamentally, that is the problem. The tech is real, but the tech is solvable. We need the political will to solve it. We need the money to solve it. Bruce, uh, thank you so much. This has been Fascinating. Thank you again. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. That was Malcolm Gladwell speaking with security technologist Bruce Schneier. Remember to check out our show notes for links to the suggestions our guests make for ways that you can get involved. Solvable is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our show is produced by Camille Baptista, senior producer Jocelyn Frank. Catherine Girardot is our managing producer. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Special thanks to Heather Fain, Eric Sandler, Carly Migliori, and Khadija Holland. I'm Jacob Weisberg.
The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out, and then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.